so many women say, well, I want my partner to be more in his femininity. But what they're really saying is they want him to be more feeling and more emotionally connected. The thing is, if you want to be in your feminine, you really don't want your partner to be in his feminine because then you're going to have no polarity. You want to be in your feminine and encourage his healthy, vulnerable masculine to come out. You don't want his feminine to come out. Welcome back to A Sharper Life. I am your host, Nikki Sharp. And today I have an incredible guest for you. You probably already know her though. Christine Hassler has made waves in the self-development world. She is a master coach and speaker with nearly 20 years of experience. And she's known for her expertise within personal growth, relationships, and spirituality. She is the best-selling author of three books, including Expectation Hangover, Free Yourself from Your Past, Change Your Present, and Get What You Really Want, and is the host of the top-rated podcast, Over It and On With It, where she coaches people live on her show to make lasting change. And Christine has a master's degree in spiritual psychology, and she implements elements of NLP, psychology, spirituality, science, very similar to what I do. Uh, with her own experience, and she can be seen on the Today Show, CNN, the Oprah Winfrey Show, and many, many more. So today, our conversation is profoundly healing. I really invite you to listen if you are someone who is facing any sort of challenge within your life, if you are feeling stuck and you don't know where to go, if you are feeling overwhelmed and nearing burnout, or if you just feel like, you know, why are things happening to me? So we talk about all of these and so much more, including what the expectation hangover is and how to deal with expectations. And something that she said, which I found profound is she actually is telling you that she wants you to have the expectations. She's telling you quite the opposite of letting them go, but there's a specific reason why. And we're talking about spiritual bypassing, feeling your emotion, understanding grief and anger, and how to move through these with practical tools. She's also getting really real about her experience being a mother and the shifts that it brought out in her life, including letting go of past identities that she's had. It is such a raw, vulnerable, and also incredibly helpful conversation. I know for myself, I took away so many nuggets of wisdom from Christine. So I hope that you enjoy it and please stay until the very end because she is giving tips for you to change your life till literally the last second of the podcast. So without further ado, here's Christine Hassler on A Sharper Life. Christine, it is such a pleasure and honestly like a lifelong dream to have you on A Sharper Life. You have made a tremendous impact on my life and I know that you are going to share tremendous value to the listeners today. So I'd like to jump in and ask you what exactly this industry is. So you and I both teach and help others in what can be described as self-help, self-development, which we both know the power of. And yet there are many people who think this is woo-woo or that they're too old to start that they won't see a change, or those who don't even understand that you need to quote unquote heal. So mm -hmm. could you share your definition of self-development and why we should enter this world of what I call Pandora's box? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I would like to not call it self-development, but more self-remembrance. The easiest way for me to sum up this work is remembering who we truly are and getting back to who we came into the world as. And this has been, I've always said this, but this has been further cemented after having a child myself and seeing how innocent, how pure, how full of love, how present, how free of judgment, how totally tapped into her preferences. She's only 14 months. And just how, how clear she is. Um, 
and also how impacted by the world she already is becoming. And so I think all of us are born knowing we're whole, knowing we're complete, knowing we are spiritual beings having a human experience. No no 14-month-old is ever like, hmm, I'm feeling a bit insecure today, or I really don't like the way my legs look, or if only I could figure out my finances. You know, it, it, it's just this, this beautiful expression of love. And then life happens, and we forget who we are, and we form all kinds of beliefs and stories, and trauma happens. And that, that leaves us an imprint on our psychology, on our cells, on our nervous systems, on our thinking. And we get to a point in our adulthood where we look at our life and we go, gosh, there's a lot here that's not working. How is this even my life? I have this constant anxiety or I have this constant repetitive pattern. I keep repeating these same relationships or I can't figure out my finances. And the common denominator is me. So to me, personal development, self-development, or as I like to say, self-remembrance begins in that moment where we have compassion for ourselves, but we don't hold ourselves as a victim anymore. And we realize with compassion, not with our inner critic, but with compassion, that the common denominator is me and I'm the only one that can change something. My parents aren't going to change it for me. My partner isn't going to change it for me. The government isn't going to change it for me. Instagram isn't going to change it for me. This coach isn't going to change it for me. I have to do it. So to me, I like to describe this work as self-remembrance and self-responsibility. And it, it, it is a spiritual path, that, that coming back to love, coming back home, nothing heals in judgment ever. We can really only heal and grow through love. Mm, beautiful. I actually, I'd like to ask a question then based on that and just the victim mentality that it feels like the world is in today. And I, I understand it's easier to blame someone else or say, you know, you made me feel this way. And as a newlywed, I go through this with my husband. He's done a lot of work, not as much work as, as me. And it definitely is a, a nice lesson for me. Anytime he says, you're making me feel this. And I'm like, okay, don't give away your power, honey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say that in the heat of it, but could you talk a little bit about how one can even recognize if they're in that vic victim mentality and how you can take back your power if you realize, like, if you don't even know that you've given it away? Yeah. Well, there's a couple indicators. One, you feel like you want to blame somebody else or something else. You may even want to blame yourself. That You can still be blaming yourself and being victim mentality. Blaming ourselves is not self-responsibility. Blaming ourselves keeps us in um, judgment and criticism and shame and, and often can perpetuate that victim mentality. So you know you're in that victim if you are, you're feeling helpless, you're looking for someone to blame or someone to come and rescue you. You're thinking, okay, if only this didn't happen, I'd feel X, meaning there's lots of scapegoats for all the reasons that you don't have what you want in your life. Um, and there's, there's a difference between feeling sorry for ourselves and having compassion for ourselves. So if you're having a pity party where you really are just feeling sorry for yourself and wallowing and wallowing and wallowing in it, that's not compassion. You know, with, when I work with clients, I always have compassion and empathy for them, but I never feel sorry for them. My heart will hurt with them. I will feel them. I will cry with them, but I will never, never feel sorry for them because the minute we go into sympathy, we're in judgment. And again, nothing heals in judgment. So you can have ownership and recognition of that victim if you're shaming, if you're blaming, if you're looking for a rescuer, if you have a scapegoat, you're throwing yourself a pity party and you just feel helpless. I mean, spot on and absolutely fascinating. I love what you just said, though, about the that if you are and, and I might butcher it, but if you're you can give sympathy, but you can't feel bad for the person because that's actually then judgment. That's a really I, it was, is that correct? How I said it? Yeah. You, you, as soon as you feel sorry for someone, you're judging them. Mm. And one more thing I want to say about victim is a lot of us in our life has been, have been victimized. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening, considering there's one in three women. I think the stats are actually more, but one in three women that have been abused, molested, raped at some point in their life. And that's just one of the ways we can be victimized in life. There's lots of ways. There, there have been times where we have been a victim of something, a victim of a crime, um, a victim of trauma, a victim of a perpetrator. And we, we, we need to choose between, am I going to continue to be victimized 
by seeing myself as a victim? Or am I going to have compassion for my experience, get my feelings out, get my anger, my blame, my sadness, my grief, get it all out and heal through the trauma, through somatics, through therapy, through whatever mode I'm going to heal with so that I can heal the part of me that was victimized, but not remain a victim. Because I see too many people that have been victimized, then they then go into this victim archetype because it's kind of who they think they need to be. Because when we have been victimized, so much of our power, it feels like it gets taken away, but no one can ever do that. No, people can inflict pain. People can definitely inflict trauma, but no one can take your power away. So part of not continuing to be a victim, even if you have been victimized in your life, is taking that power back. And eventually what that looks like is forgiveness. And forgiveness is never, ever, ever condoning what happened. It's never calling up your rapist and being like, I forgive you. It's letting go of the anger and the charge and the resentment that we have at another person so we can be free. And people know this. I'm just repeating it because it's just so powerful. It's also important to note you don't want a spiritual bypass to forgiveness. It's so important. Like I teach at my women's retreat, I have a huge grief release and a huge anger burn. It takes hours. And people are like, wait, that was how many hours? That felt like five minutes to me because you're just, they just, women get so in the emotions that they never got to express. And, and you want to be able to do that. You want to be able to express your anger, express your grief, all of those things before you go into forgiveness. Because if you go into forgiveness before you get the natural animalistic human emotions out that are part of being victimized, then you're just bypassing and you're not giving yourself your dignity of your human experience. Because again, we are spiritual beings, but we're having a human experience. So that's part of the healing, the victim journey is moving to that place of forgiveness, but going through all those emotions first. What, I mean, granted, I know you teach this, so you won't give the full five hour (laughs) explanation, (laughs) but what are maybe some of the best or easy, I don't want to say easy, that's the wrong word, but a useful tool for someone who is experiencing grief or anger on how to release that? Yeah. Well, let's talk about anger first. So there's a big difference between catharsis and true emotional release. So I've been to a lot of different seminars and workshops where like, yeah, we do anger work and they get everybody hyped up and everybody screams and and hits stuff. And it's just like a rage room. And that's a great cathartic release and it can feel really good and you can get an adrenaline high from it. But it's very different than the arc of a real emotional wave and a real emotional release where you're letting yourself go back to times, not reliving trauma, but you're letting yourself have the anger and have the words and have the expression about what you're angry about. So just at the example of my retreat, we, it's a whole framing process where we go through this whole process, this process with their little girl, finding their words, tapping into their warrior woman so that when they actually get to the anger release, they know what they're fighting for and they know what the words are about. And it's, it's, it's for something and about something versus just a big relief release. So if you want to get anger out, you know, yelling, hitting the pillow, a lot of people are saying, oh, I get it out at the gym or my boxing classes. And I'm like, great, great cathartic release. Keep doing it. But you need to set yourself up in an environment where you can hit something and you can use words. You can say, I'm so mad because I'm so angry because you remind me of this. And and a true anger release, you'll go through waves. You'll be really angry and then you'll cry. And then then another wave and then this happened and then an anger release will happen and then you'll get tears again. And then you'll get angry at something else about somebody else and that'll piss you off and you just ride the waves. That's the biggest thing with any emotional release is that you've got to ride the waves of the emotion. Same with grief. Grief is something that feels so tender and so raw that we will like really push it down. A lot of women are good at sadness, but actually getting to our grief that's in our heart and in our gut and even in our wombs, we are we just don't want to open. I think you said Pandora's box earlier. <laughs> we just don't want to open that because we're like, I'm going to drown. Yeah. If I dive into that ocean and those waves of grief, I'm going to drown. That's how we feel. Yeah. And we won't, especially if we go in with so much compassion. And at my retreat, when we do the grief release, you actually are doing it with another woman. You have this mirror and I don't want to give away the whole thing, but there's, there's a way that, that we, I set it up so that as you're releasing the grief, you know, you have an anchor because again, there's so much fear with it. 
Um, but if you are doing it on your own, it's grief is something that when it it happens, you've got to honor it. You can't be like, okay, at 4.30 on Tuesday, I'm going to grief. It's not, it's not like an appointment you can make. When you feel it, when something triggers you, you've got to let that emotion ride. And if you can't, if you're at work and you get triggered by something, you can't, you know, break down in a staff meeting, but you can put one hand on your chest and even one hand on your belly and say, I feel you grief. And at eight o'clock when I'm home tonight, I will greet you. And at eight o'clock, you honor that. You take yourself back to that staff meeting and when it came up and you let yourself have your emotion about it and know that grief is not something that, um, you know, it just comes up in times. Like I, I openly share about before I got pregnant with Athena, I had a pregnancy loss and I still have a wave of grief that comes up. There's a little place outside in our backyard where we planted the remains and did an offering and, and it's really beautiful because it was in a row of bushes and the bush where we planted it under is like really, really thriving and really, really beautiful. Wow. And I still- Oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really, and I, I can feel the emotion now. Like I still have times where, even though I have my beautiful child now, I still have times where I just feel that grief and I just let it be. I let it come up and never say, oh, I should be over this by now. Or you have a baby now, you should be happy. Or- there's not time for this, or don't let your daughter see you cry, or any of those things. We can make excuses for why we won't feel our grief, um, and it's so important to feel it because I truly believe, and I've seen over and over again in my own life, and I'm, I'm, I've been coaching since 2004, so I'm coming up to 20 years, of especially women, when grief and anger is kept suppressed, it, it does come out somehow, and often it will come out in health problems. Yeah. And um, so many women are suffering from so many things that I feel are not their fault. First, I want to say that, um, but often are the result of decades of repressed big feelings. Because like I said, women are good at sadness, but actual grief and anger, we often don't go there. I mean... What an answer and and so profound because you you really did hit the nail on the head when it comes to women and so many of the clients that I, I work with. It's like when I ask them to go into their fears and their anger and like truly, like, what are you angry about in your life? I'm often met with, I'm not angry about anything. And I'm like, okay, so why did you join the program? Why are you here? And then, and then we, you know, work through those layers. And I, I really love all that you're sharing just in terms of how to feel it. And I remember during COVID, I did the, the very first one that you and Steph did, um, the inner child healing workshop. And mm -hmm. and I we, we had actually done a one-on-one -on -one session where you helped give me some confidence that I, it's, I already knew the answer. I just needed that confidence and yeah, to talk it through about leaving my six-year on and off relationship. And and I did, and I, I left and I went and did a self-love journey with myself, which was hard and beautiful and amazing. But then I, I went home to my mother's house where I did this inner child healing workshop. And I mean, talk about like trauma upon trauma, like all the things, being home, doing it right there, telling my mom like, hey, I'm back. Like, I'm not going to see you for four days. I'm going to be in my room. Yeah. And I do remember very much feeling the grief the anger, the sadness, all of it come up. And by, I think it was like night one, I looked at childhood photos, didn't even mean to, they just, I opened a, a drawer and they were there and everything just turned into waves of, of true compassion and love and forgiveness. But I had to feel mm -hmm. all the feels before. So I want to say thank you. And, and your work really is, is profound and healing. And I'm, I'm a testament to that and, and feeling all the yeah. feels. So I want to. So, and I just want to say, I'm so happy for you. And yeah. I, I didn't want to say it at the time because I, you know, but I felt someone for you. Like I really felt mm -hmm. another person very, 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 very strongly. And it's so hard as a coach, and um, especially just someone who just over the years intuition has just really opened up. And sometimes I'm like, oh, like should I say this or not? I don't know if I said it to you then. But no, I just felt strongly, but I knew it needed to be your choice. But I, I'm so glad that you really honored, you know, because I know it wasn't easy. Um, no. 
Yeah. No. I mean, that was, that was an experience where talking about pain, my heart felt like it, like it was breaking, like it, it shattered. And I, I'd never in my life experienced anything like that. And, uh, after I left it, I met my now husband six months later, and then we got engaged six months later. None of it was planned. And, and I do remember one of the beautiful things and why I also just love and appreciate your work is really honing in on, on falling in love with yourself and trusting yourself and getting into the expectation hangover, which I, I want to talk about because I think it's such a profound concept. But I do think there was the power of taking back that ownership, that power for me, and then learning who I was and like what makes me so fantastic for me, by me, with me. And mm-hmm. and I learned to date myself. And so by the time my my husband, I mean, who wasn't then, but when we met yeah. I and we knew that we were going to get together and, and be together, I said, you know, I love you. I want to be with you, but I have no expectation if this mm-hmm. works out or not. And if God has a different plan, then I know that that this was meant to be as it is and I'm trusting and you know here we are and so that's part of the the work that I, I want to talk about with the expectation hangover because I let I I was like I got none I really I got of course now that we're married I feel like a few of those expectations have crept in but could you go over what the expectation hangover is and yeah. I guess what like helping people to not only deal with it but like how do you prevent it or move through through them because hi it's me I'm the problem I have some expectations now yeah yeah Yeah. don't we all don't we all so and boy does that show up in relationship um so I came up with the term expectation hangover because I I wrote that book in 2014 I think so I've been coaching about 10 years by then and I I saw that people didn't come to me as a coach because life was going great people came to me because they were disappointed. Either things didn't turn out like they planned. They did turn out like they planned, but they didn't have the happily ever after that they hoped for, be it a job or, you know, losing this much weight or finding this relationship. It's like, wait, I'm still here. I still have this insecurity or I still have this self-doubt or I still have fill in the blank. Or life has thrown them an unexpected curveball that was not according to plan and something that they didn't want, like lost a job or health diagnosis or infidelity or cheating or whatever. There's lots of curveballs life can throw us. And so I wanted to write something that really helped people get excited about disappointment um, (laughs) and see how to leverage it because I'm sure many people have heard, you know, expectations are the, the, you know, the, the precursor to disappointment because whenever we have expectations about something, we are setting ourselves up to be disappointed. Doesn't mean we don't have goals. Doesn't mean we have strong intentions, but expectations have a high emotional attachment of like, if this doesn't happen, then fill in the blank. Whereas goals and intentions, we can practice with much less detachment and can really move into the energy of this or something better of the highest good. Where expectations are like, no, this is the way I want it. This is the way it has to be. This is the way you need to be. Or like, wait a second, this isn't the plan. This hasn't gone according to plan. Um, like my husband and I are going through something like that now, not in our relationship, but in our life where we're like, oh, well, actually two things where we're both just like, wait a second, this is not. What oh, come want. on. Details. You can't just leave us. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them has to do with where we live mm. and one of them has to do with just our you know, support team and work. And we both were just like, oh my gosh, you know, are we going to need to make some changes that we did not see coming? And I, I laugh all the time because I, I, I go, why did I write a book about disappointment? Like, why did I write a book about, and I tell my husband, do not let me write another book unless it's about great sex, traveling the world, <laughs> eating amazing chocolate, having everything go your way. Like that's the next book I'm going to write because whatever book I write seems to be what I'm an expert in. So hi, I'm Christine. I'm an expert in disappointment. Um, and, but I'm happy to be that because I think that especially in the personal development industry, there's so much pressure that you've got to manifest this and you've got to do this and like live your best life and positive vibes only. And I'm here to say sometimes life sucks and shit happens and that's okay. And you don't have to be like, well, I have to positive vibe myself out of this and there's no negativity here. And You're allowed to be in a funk. You're allowed to just get mad that life is sucking right now. You're allowed to be pissed off that things did not go according to your plan. 
Um, and, and then as you move through that, go, okay, what am I learning? What am I learning? Not, okay, how's this going to work out better? Or like, what's the silver lining? Cause that again, can be that spiritual bypassing, but what am I learning? What am I asked to be, to, to, what am I asked to grow into? What is this reminding me of from my past that I never really healed? I just kind of got over cause I was strong and busy and all those other things. Um, and really be curious about it because it can be so hard when life throws us curveballs or when we work really, really hard to achieve something, it doesn't go as we planned or it does and we don't feel like the way that we want it to feel. That can be really, really hard. And I'm not, I'm honoring the hard part. <laughs> like the whole book is about feel your feel, not the whole book, but a big part of the book is about feel your feelings about it before you try to change anything. And that's the other thing I've found too with expectations is they are indications. They're, they're, they're trying to get our attention. So using the marriage example, like whatever expectations you have of husband, it's a, it's, it's in a little alarm bell going, okay, like one, what is he reminding you of? Two, where is there a need that's not being met that needs, that is his responsibility to meet as your partner that you need to communicate better? I'm not saying you, Nikki, I'm saying hypothetically anyone mm-hmm. in the situation, including myself. Or three, what is a need that you're not meeting inside yourself? Because our relationships are huge mirrors and we project all over people all the time. And so when people say, well, how do I be free of expectations? I say, I don't want you to be free of expectations. I want you to have expectations because I want you to get disappointed sometimes. And I want you to see what you're expecting of yourself and others, because that's going to be a great mirror for you and a great microscope looking at, okay, where's your inner critic? Where are you still gripping for control? Where are you afraid to take risks because you're afraid you're going to fail? So it's not about not having expectations. It's about knowing we have them, letting them be clues to where we are being too harsh on ourselves or potentially too harsh on another and where we're gripping on for control too quickly. I mean, too tightly rather than letting life unfold. I don't know if that answered your question, but (laughs) absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe listening to it because I've read your book. I've, I've done a few of your courses and it's, I guess for me, even hearing it, I feel like I'm, I'm hearing it for the first time, even though I've heard it so many times Mm -hmm. and I've read it because I think especially with this quote unquote work, whatever we're calling it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is, you know, you you can be told a a blueberry is good for you 50 different times. And then it's that one person, that one time that's like a blueberry is good for you. Like, oh my God, I never realized a blueberry was good for me. And I feel like right now as I'm listening, it's just such a beautiful mirror and reflection of like, oh yeah, okay. I'm kind of thinking in my own life and, and just really like, I love that you're saying I'm not asking you not to have expectations of quite the opposite. I want you to have them to feel the disappointment, to feel the emotion, to work through the thing in yourself, the need, the the desire, whatever it is. And so I do have a follow-up question on that though. You have mentioned that you have a tendency to worry about others. And I know that that was something you were scared about bringing a child into the world. And Although you teach and you've embodied so much of this work, it's something that you mentioned that you have just accepted. That is kind of who you are. And I do find this to be a fascinating topic just because I see that people, some people feel like they need to keep doing the work and in, until they're quote unquote healed. And yet you're here like saying, it's okay. And I want you to not be perfect and have the expectation. So can you share about, for those who might be feeling frustrated that they're not seeing the changes or that it's just like this consistent, like I need to do more. I need to heal more. I, I need more. I'm not healed yet. Like at what point does someone just stop and be like, you know what? I'm just going to like sit back and enjoy my life and have a glass of wine and like chill out for a minute. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, one of the biggest indicators of spiritual maturity and emotional maturity is radical self-acceptance. Radical self-acceptance doesn't mean you let yourself be a shithead and you take no responsibility for your life. Radical self-acceptance means you stop beating the shit out of yourself and having that fierce inner critic and wanting to change things. You know, there are things in my life that I have shifted. Um, For example, control. It's something that I've really had to work on and let go both in my work um, my management style, my relationship. And it's something I'm aware of, but it has been a 
big shift because I'm like, this really isn't serving me. Gripping so tightly isn't serving me. And this is actually something I can change because I know the fear that's underneath it and everything. But the, 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 the worry that I do and sometimes how my brain goes to hypervigilance, all the work I've done, it just seems to be there. Not as bad, but it just seems to be there. And you know, I just came to the realization, I was actually doing tapping. And I love that phrase in tapping that says, even though fill in the blank, I love and accept myself fully. And I was like, yeah, why don't I just do that? Why don't I stop trying to fix this thing and just learn how to navigate it and relate to it differently? So I have certain tools and certain things that really work for me when my worry bell goes off that I employ and that I do. So instead of trying to stop myself from worrying or stop myself from being hypervigilant, I look at it and I go, oh, I'm worrying. Oh, I'm hypervigilant right now. Okay, I know what that means. So here's what I'm going to do about it. And I've just accepted it's just part of my wiring and part of how the Christine operating system works. I'm open to it shifting. I'm open to someday being that person that's like, eh, it'll all work out. As of now, that's not me. I'm like, but will it? What do I need to do to make sure? I don't think it will because it hasn't in the past. And so, and I just let that part be okay. Because as of now, like worry used to really debilitate me. Um, and it's to the point where it doesn't anymore. There's some nights where I'm spinning in my head about something where I don't sleep as well. So sometimes it'll still grab me. But even then I'm like, okay, I had a bad night. I'll have a better night tomorrow. And so I've stopped making myself wrong for being wired a little bit more on that worry, hypervigilant. Um, I wouldn't say I have anxiety. I say I would have like more of the hypervigilant worry, get anxious about situational things versus like having low grade anxiety in my, my daily life, which if you have that as somebody listening, that's okay. That's okay. Learn how to be with it. Learn how to love it because love heals it. So I've learned to love my worry. I have learned that my worry and my hypervigilance is part of how my nervous system feels safe, how my love expresses in the world, you know, and, and that's okay. So back to your question, I'll just repeat because I think it's worth repeating emotional maturity, spiritual maturity is that radical acceptance of, you know, there's some things I'm in a really bad relationship. I need to, I need to change that. I'm not taking care of my health. I really need to make a change here. It's not for my highest good, but there's some certain things in my operating system that are just me. And I'm going to love myself through them. I'm going to learn how to be with them and I'm going to stop trying to change them. That's radical self-acceptance. Mm, beautiful in incredible answer. And kind of uh, tailing off of that, you mentioned sleep. Like if you don't sleep as much, maybe the anxiety or the worry gets a little mm -hmm. bit worse, mm -hmm. which I think is the, you know, similar for all of us. And that inner self-critic starts to pipe up a little bit more mm -hmm. the next day of all the things. But I would love to know what is your, I guess, daily routine, morning, night, because I get a lot of these questions too. People want to know when you're the expert, when you're teaching, do you do this? Do you not do that? So like having a, a child now and obviously your mm -hmm. practice, are you, well, I'd, I'd love if you actually could just walk us through yeah. your day, the practices you do. So it's completely changed since having a child, completely changed. And I think back to before I had her and I go, what did I do with all my time? Like, what, <laughs> what did I do? Um, because it's so different. Cause I'm a very, I'm very, like, I really love being in her life and I love spending all the time I can with her. Um, so now my daily routine is, um, she either gets up or I wake her up at six 30. That's her wake up time. And I, tr if I wake up a little early, I'll try to do a 10 minute meditation. Um, cause that's kind of all I really have space for just to ground myself and stay in the dark and just breathe a little bit. And even if my mind is wandering, who cares? At least I'm sitting there breathing with some intention. And then I go wake up my daughter. And, or she's awake and I go and see her and just seeing her smile, or even if she's in a grumpy mood and she's crying, just greeting her is beautiful. And if she really needs cuddles then I get her out of her crib, but if she seems pretty happy, then she has her playtime in her crib. And I, um, then I'll go do a meditation if I haven't, or I'll get her breakfast ready. Um, but what I have, what has been my, and this is where I think it's important to say 
your routines and your daily practices will shift as your life shifts. And so instead of trying to be rigid about like, I need to meditate here and I need to do this practice here and I need to read, you know, I have a friend that's doing 75 hard right now, which is this Mm -hmm. whole program and it's beautiful and it's great, but I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. Like, it's okay if you don't read this amount in a day, like it's really, it's all going to work out. We want to make sure we don't have rigidity with our routines because then they, then they're not supportive, you know, then they're not nourishing. They feel more like, you know, homework and we don't want to feel that way. So having that flexibility is important. So again, for me, since I'm in the stage of life where I still have a little one and I'm still breastfeeding, honestly, nursing her, I, I whenever I nurse her, no phone, no distraction. It's just the two of us alone in a room. And I nurse her still about five times a day. And that is my, that's my spiritual practice. That's my connection time. That's my grounding time. That's my oxytocin time. And I just use that time to just feel into the energy of love. Because for me, my practices, they were all to ground myself, regulate my nervous system, feel into the energy of love, feel more connected to God. And honestly, right now, like my daughter's my spiritual practice. There isn't a lot of time for saunas and red light therapy and (laughs) meditations and Dr. Joe Dispenza and all the things. Um, so, So that's it. And so for people listening, Find routines and things that really fit into your life that nourish you and that ground you. Because the point of a routine isn't to feel rigid. The point of any routine, from my perspective, is to help regulate and ground your nervous system. Because all of our nervous systems in this modern day world are just jacked. I mean, they're just, mm-hmm. they're just wired. And so coming back and getting into that rest and digest place and regulating our nervous system any way you can do that is great. You don't have to sit in meditation for 20 minutes. You can go outside and put your feet in the grass. Any way you can do it. You can listen to your favorite song and dance. You know, it doesn't, it, it's whatever you find really helps ground you. I love that. And then in terms of like with your routine, when mm-hmm. let's say she goes to bed, are you, you and Stefanos out meeting other couples? Are you having dinners, date nights? Are you like, do you go out and sometimes, sometimes but yeah. honestly, not as much now. Um, you know, she she didn't start sleeping through the night until she was nine months, and I really had to work at it with her. My wow. my little one is a manifesting generator, and she loves life. She's not interested in sleep. She's not interested in food. She just wants to live her life, and she hated being a baby. Hated so much happier now that she's a toddler. She wasn't unhappy as a baby, but I could just see her. She was like this is frustrating. I can't feed myself. I can't move. ah, What is this? She's an old soul. That's like, what is this baby body? This is, this is not utility. There's no utility here. Anyway. Um, so honestly, like, because I'm either momming or working, like I used to be someone that exercised every day. Now eh, two, three times a week, because I just want to be with my kid. And because I'm either on as a mom or on at work, what we really like to do after she goes to bed at seven is we like to have some food and sometimes we'll watch a nice show or we'll both read. Sometimes we do go out, but honestly, like my energy, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you know human design. Do you know human design, Nikki, at all? A, a little bit. And I always, I'm either a gener- manifesting generator. Or it's, I don't. Or generator. I'm, one, I'm not a generator type. I'm a projector type, which means okay. I don't have endless energy. So for me, after I have a full day, the last thing in the world I want to do is go out. And this is, again, another radical self-acceptance piece is sometimes we pressure ourselves. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should like be doing it all and, you know, be momming and working and have this great life and go on sexy date nights with my husband. And it's like, what do you want to do? Forget the shoulds. Like, what do you want to do? And honestly, like curled up on the couch with my husband watching Ted Lasso is more appealing to me than going out to a restaurant and like having my nervous system activated by all the things that are happening there where I could just be cuddled up on the couch, just having that connection time. So that's Beautiful. our life right now. And it's, I, I, I love it. I love it. And I, you know what you're saying, and it's something that I, I teach as well is it's just, we have different seasons and something yeah. I didn't even realize until it's always like retrospective when you sit down and think about the things where 
I planned a wedding for a year and I'm like, now that I'm out of that, I'm like, oh my God, the amount of time and energy that went into that. Like, no wonder my business didn't have as much of my energy. And so now my business has more energy and, and it's just the different seasons. But I'm very curious, you and Stephanos, your wonderful husband, who I also interviewed here, and I'll, I'll link that below in the show notes. He, when you guys have challenging moments, or let's say you haven't been having as much sex, for example, or connection or intimacy, or you have a fight, you both have done so much beautiful integrated work, mm -hmm. but what are the tools that you guys use when those sticky, crunchy times come up? Communication. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> really, really talking about it, talking uh, and, and getting into the microscopic truth of what both of us are, are feeling and being really honest with each other and having those difficult conversations and talking about it, not, you know, when we're in the car on the way to the grocery store, really carving out time to sit down and talk heart to heart. So sitting and facing each other. So we're really looking at each other and taking each other in and just having a conversation. And sometimes for us, like we'll have a conversation, it won't go well. And we'll, we'll just be like, okay, let's just pause and we'll both take some space and then we'll come back together. Um, but we, we have a practice of, you know, responsibility, you know, what's my responsibility, not in any order. Like, what am I really feeling right now? Um, what am I, you know, getting or not getting from you that, that I really need or, or don't need? And then what are my requests? Um, and what am I willing to do? So those are the things that we talk about. And one, we have this, this, um, symbol in our relationship and you won't be able to see it because I'll be out of camera, but it's just holding our fist in the air. And it's just a, for us, like a knowing of no matter what, like we're going to get to the other side of it and we're on the same team. And even though we're frustrated with each other right now, we're both here for the same reason. Um, and so for us, we're both so committed to not having tension and volatility in our relationship. Like I couldn't do a relationship that was like super, super, like on and passionate and fiery and then super, super fighting and you're going to divorce. Like I, I don't like volatility, which is funny because Steph can be, he, he's definitely more of a fiery personality. Yeah. So I'm the one that kind of grounds it in, but he is so, uh, he is so good at taking responsibility. Like he teaches mm. masculinity and I can honestly say as his partner, he really leads most of our repair. He really does. I'm always willing, like as a feminine, when he comes in and it's time to repair, I'm always receptive. I never shut him down because I don't ever want to shut down that leadership of repair. But he does a really good job of, of coming in being like, I'm thinking about this and this is my responsibility and, and leading that. And that's so, that makes my, my feminine feel so safe to express my vulnerability and to hear him and really be able to receive him and have compassion for him. You know, that's so beautiful. That's a that's a nice dynamic in our relationship as well. I love that. And what would your tips be for? I mean, really quick tips because I know you teach beautiful courses about that. Like all the things you do, basically, people should come follow, find you, listen. <laughs> and I guess the the question is, what are some actionable or simple tips for someone, for a woman to be more in her feminine or, and for a man or let's say her partner to help guide him into his feminine or, you know, whatever the energies are in, in that relationship? Well, first, femininity expresses differently for every person. There's some common themes in it, but we've really got to find what makes us feel feminine. And the, a big thing for me is receptivity, is a softness, is an openness, is a compassion about being a space, like with boundaries, but really holding a space of receptivity and openness. And also not getting like, um, because what can happen with like the wounded feminine is we get into the drama or the rescuer or the victim or whatever. So I'll give you an example of me, not in my healthy feminine. This might help. So often when Steph and I argue, I don't do this as much anymore because I call him my bluff. He would yell and get, you know, he's the more fiery Greek Italian. I'm the like repressed German Catholic, hold all our feelings inside type. 
And so he would yell and be fiery and, and I'd walk away crying and I'd go into the bathroom and cry, but cry with the intention that I was crying loud enough for him to hear me. Mm. He would feel bad about how much he hurt me and how much I was just sobbing in the bathroom. And so even though I was upset and I was crying, there was this little like, does he hear me? Does he hear me crying? Does he know how much he hurt me? Does he know what a jerk he is? Does he know? And that's the unhealthy feminine because that's manipulation. Um, That's drama. That's deceit. It's all those things that are not healthy. Whereas a healthy feminine, I would, I say more like, ouch, that really hurt. And maybe I do need to cry or I need to do need to walk away. Um, or I'll say something like, I'm walking away right now, or I don't like the way you're talking to me, or that's not a nice thing to say to me. Or can you say that in a different way? Because I'm having trouble hearing what you're trying to say through your tone. So really honoring those boundaries and communicating with openness or yeah, honoring those boundaries or communicating with openness. Um, and for the masculine, like I, so many women say, well, I want my partner to be more in his femininity. But what they're really saying is they want him to be more feeling and more emotionally connected. The thing is, if you want to be in your feminine, you really don't want your partner to be in his feminine because then you're going to have no polarity. You want to be in your feminine and encourage his healthy, vulnerable masculine to come out. You don't want his feminine to come out unless you're unless you're going to hold the masculine pole. Like there's sometimes when Steph and I were in like a business thing and he's the creative, visionary, flowing all over and I'm in the like – and what's the structure and what's right. the timeline and what's the staff and money required and how are we going to do this? And so there's a flip-flop of the poll. But in terms of intimacy and communication, when I hear so many women say, I want my man to be more in his feminine, I'm like, no, you want him to be more intimate and more emotional and more expressed and more vulnerable with you. But you want, believe me, you want him to do that from his masculine. Because if he goes in your feminine, you're going to have to go into your masculine or both going to be in your feminine and then it's going to feel like a sister and it's not going to feel sexy at all. It's not going to feel intimate. So you want to bring out that healthy masculine expression and men need to feel safe too. And the biggest way men feel safe is not feeling judged. If a man feels not judged and respected, he will start to gradually over time start to be vulnerable and express because what I've seen from having a girl and my, my sister has all boys and I, over the years, cause I'm kind of the last in the group to have kids just seeing boys and girls, boys are so emotional. They're often more emotional than girls, especially when they're really little, like so emotional, very needy. Um, they have such big, tender hearts, like huge tender hearts and men just get that conditioned out of them. So it's, it's in a man, it's in any man, but you're not going to bring it out by demanding him to be more emotional. You're going to bring it out by accepting for him for where he is, really respecting him, being curious about how he wants to express. Um, And by having that vulnerability in yourself without any expectation, that starts to make it safe for him to have vulnerability. But you got to be mindful. Like if he's vulnerable in any way, if you judge it in any way, it wasn't enough or why'd you say it that way or anything, it's going to shut him back down again. Mm, I mean, wow. You just said, I hope everyone... I. Every single episode, I tell people to have a pen and paper because I I really want everyone to take notes and actionable, you know, tips and like everything you just shared was mind blowing. And even as I'm I'm listening there, it's I think that's maybe the the part in which in my own relationship I'm probably doing I I don't want to say wrong, but could do better. Where I'm mm-hmm. sure he has said he feels judged and and criticized, and I'm the one who comes with the repair convert. I'm the more fiery one, but then I also take ownership responsibility very quickly. And that's something that I struggle with within my relationship is his Mm -hmm. lack of accountability, responsibility, which kind of happens because of that lack of vulnerability. But then it's, so it's like a fine, delicate balance. And I love everything you just shared. Like that in of itself could, we could just blow into a whole nother podcast. (laughs) So (laughs) it's all, it's just so fascinating. The, the energies, the wounding that we all have, the conditioning and breaking the conditioning. But I, I want to get into a topic that I know a lot of the listeners deal with. And it is something that I guess I'll use myself as the example here where I have this incredible career and I, I do feel like I'm on the tipping point of, a lot of you know my big dreams happening and and things 
let's say dreams where I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that was a dream. It's even better than I could have imagined, mm-hmm. right? Letting go of expectations. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to my husband. So we're both, you know, have a bigger focus, let's say on business. And I am finding that a, a challenging time managing the career front, dealing with, you know, being in the new marriage, the crunchy challenges that come up, finding that that balance, that love. And then, you know, wanting to be a good friend, a good daughter, see my family, have my own wellness journey. And so what what would your tips be for someone like me? Because this a lot of my clients are like this and the listeners of mm-hmm. we're kind of burning ourselves out on all the fronts. So what would you say to to those who resonate with with my story at least? Yeah, I mean so much of that is expectations again. So much of that is like Damn it. Are you <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so a thing that has been super helpful in my life, very simple, writing down like everything and then dividing it. And then I have a highlighter for want, like true want and desire and a highlighter for should and obligation. And I just write down everything and my pink highlighters for want and my yellow highlighter is for what feels like a should and obligation and anything in the yellow highlighter goes. It's just, I just let it go. I just give it up. Now you might say, well, everything on my list is pink highlighter. And it's like, okay. And there's only so much time in the day. So what gets the pink highlighter and the star, you know, and where can we, like, I think one thing that is common among ambitious people is that often what we think is all these desires and everything we want to do is actually more of an addiction than it is true desire and true want. Because when we've been ambitious our whole life and go-getters our whole life, there's an adrenaline kick that comes with that. And so if we aren't going, 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 doing, 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 then where's the dopamine? Like, where's the hit? And I've had to get really real with myself on that one of like, hmm, I am burning myself out, but I love everything I'm doing. So what's the issue here? Well, the issue is sometimes I love everything I'm doing because of the dopamine hit I'm getting from it and the ego validation I'm getting from it. And so what can I start to pare down a little bit and just so I can give more focus to the things that really matter long term, like my my love, my health, those kinds of things. You know, it's been really humbling and difficult for me at times because I feel like since having Athena, my daughter, I've sort of become invisible. Like all the work that I've done in my career is just sort of slipping through my fingers because I'm not doing as much and I'm not on social media as much. And I, because my focus is so much on her and I'm not saying that people, mothers who are doing a lot and are on social media, I'm not making any kind of judgment. It's such like motherhood is such a personal thing. It is parenthood in general. I'm a mother. It's such a personal thing. Like there's no one can tell you how you're going to do it. And, but I've, I've had that come up about like, wow, there's so many other things in my life that are important to me that I'm not paying attention to. But then I have to get really honest with myself and say, what am I going to regret more five years from now? Missing moments with her or having fewer Instagram followings or not having my podcast be as high on the list or not making as much money. And I I would regret more time with her, you know, especially at this time in life. So we do have to make choices and we do have to be aware as ambitious people that there is a little bit of an addiction there and not fool ourselves into thinking, oh, this is all I want. I'm going for it. This is, you know, talking ourselves into, I'm just going to burn myself out because it's all so amazing. Really being honest and going, okay, but is it amazing to be burnt out? And I truly believe, and this is what I tell myself when I go down the road of I'm disappearing and the career I've built is slipping through my fingers. What I tell myself is, and if that happens, okay. And is that probably going to happen? No, no, <laughs> because you can come back when you have more energy and more space and that's, that's okay. So like we've both said on this episode and previously there are seasons and although that's trite, Sometimes the advice you hear over and over and over again from multiple people that lasts years and years and years and years through the generations, it's because it's true. 
It's yeah. because it's true. Yeah. So for anyone that's burning themselves out, I would just say, stop it. <laughs> yes. stop okay. It. <laughs> uh, again, hi, it's me. I'm the problem. But I, I, what you were saying as I was just listening to that too was I, I do – I burn myself. I, I, let me rephrase that. I have burned myself out really badly. I was in London, got shingles. I mean, and it was a mix of things, the weather. And now I'm much more aware of when I might be slipping into that and I, I can catch myself and, and pull myself back out. But as you were talking, I did just have a realization for myself being like, the burnout is because of fear. And I think that's where I have not wanted to go, even though I, I do, I, I, face my fears every day. And I'm like, okay, so what if, what if, what if, but interesting that that's, that's what I was saying about the blueberry analogy where it's like, even though I already know this, you just said it. And I'm like, right. Oh, of course, Nikki. (laughs) So that being said with, you know, having Athena and you, you and Stephanos as mentioned have done the work, what would your best recommendations be for either to be parents like myself one day, hopefully if that's, you know, God's plan or someone who already has a a child or a family who's looking to get into the work, what are the best practices or books or tools for parents to raise kids? Is it, is it all about healing you and and remembrance of you or is it for the kids? It's both. It's definitely both. It's like healing your inner child, doing the work, not repeating generational patterns. Um, And I would say that my other big tip is support. You know, parenthood can feel super isolating and super lonely. And um, having a community, uh, having support, if you can, if you are in a position where you can pay for some support, that's really, really helpful. Having the community, talking to other parents, um, it was really comforting for us when, you know, cause you have a baby and everybody's like, oh my gosh, enjoy the baby bliss. And you must just be sitting around like, you know, just in bliss. And I'm like, ah, uh, I'm not sleeping. My husband's grieving his old life and is kind of absent. She has a tongue tie and breastfeeding's killing me. Uh, like what just happened? What just, what the fuck just happened? Everybody's like, oh baby bliss. And it was so helpful to have friends that were just real with us. And are like, this part is really hard. Like, it's really hard. And you have guilt that it's hard because you have this healthy baby. And you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And I've had so many people say to me, going from zero to one is so much harder than going from one to two or two to three or whatever, because it's such an initiation into, oh my God, what's going on? So I would say have honest conversations with people like that have kids, like have them really give you the nitty gritty because so many people said, oh, I don't want to scare you into not having kids. And I wish people would have just been freaking honest. Once we had a kid, then it was like we were in the secret parent club where people were like really brutally honest and <laughs> helpful for you to tell me before I had this kid. It would have prepared me a little bit. So support, honest conversations, really writing down, speaking of expectations, you know, in terms of you, if you are in a partnership, when you have a child, like, what am I doing? What are you doing? What are your responsibilities? What are my responsibilities? What do I need from you? Um, and especially, you know, for the woman, like being really, really clear, because a lot of times, like, you just don't know what you need. Um, so having friends that your partner can reach out to that could possibly tell your partner what you may need in that moment. Um, but it's just nothing. I mean, I can say all that, but nothing prepares you. Nothing prepares you. And you don't know what's going to arise for you when you have a child. You don't know what kind of child you're going to get. You don't know what kind of birth you're going to have. Like there's so much unknown. And especially for achievers and planners, it's like, okay, I'm going to get this all lined up and I'm going to read all the parenting books and I'm just going to nail this thing. And then your child is your teacher and you're like, oh, I don't have any control right now. So it's a humbling and beautiful experience. And for me, motherhood has truly taught me what devotion is, like true devotion. Um, and it's been a beautiful, beautiful and demanding and beautiful thing. Wow. I, have you done a podcast on that of all the advice that you wish people had told you I that, need to. that, that nitty, I'm like, please, because that's something for me where I'm like, I want to have kids, but I don't feel in, like emotionally secure in the new marriage and, you know, just figuring things out. And, and I feel like just as you said, like people are like, oh, the honeymoon phase for the year. I'm like, what fucking honeymoon phase? Yeah, all your stuff what? comes up. Yeah. Like, 
what? So, and I'm like, but it, you know, you take it in stride and, and the relationship is the teacher until the, the baby or, or family yeah. or whatnot. Becomes oh, my relationship is still a teacher. Believe me. So very quick, rapid fire. There are a lot of different modalities, right? There's somatic body work, there's breath work, there's trauma, there's inner child work. What would you say, or where would you say someone should start with so many different things? If they're like, okay, I don't like myself, right? I don't, where, where do they go? What do they do? Oh, it so depends. It so depends on what's up for you, on what modalities really work for you. Um, some people like really love body stuff. Some people need to really talk about stuff before they feel safe enough to get into the body. It depends on the practitioner. I mean, for me, one thing that has always served me is when something's up for me, I really go into a meditation and a deep prayer and I ask, I say, please lead me to the practitioner or the modality that's going to support me the most. And I just do it with such a heartfelt intention. Even even if I'm going to do Google search for a practitioner or something, I will sit down before I get on Google and, and just ask to be guided to like what is for the highest good. So that would be my biggest tip because I just don't think there's a one size fits all approach to to beginning. You know, it's really like where you're at can be different for everybody. Mm, I, I love that and, and couldn't agree more with you. Now, is there, do you have any thoughts, I guess, and last question before the like final, final one. And I'm just really curious because you've been in the industry for so long, it has obviously exploded. And I personally feel like there's been a lot of people who are teaching things, but not walking, walking their talk, haven't integrated. What are your thoughts or feelings about that? I truly believe people are doing the best they can. And although that sounds like a cop, I hate it when someone says to me, oh, that person's doing the best they can, because it really does feel like a cop out. And it is in some ways, but I just keep coming back to the truth. Like there are a lot of people that say big things that, you know, aren't fully integrating them, but we really teach what we need to learn. And sometimes I'm at the point now where I can really see through it and I can be like, wow, that person really believes what they're saying, but they aren't really living what they're saying. And I, if I get judgy about it, or on my high horse about it, I call myself out on it and be like, okay, don't be, don't go into your better than, don't go into your judgy, Christine. Um, because there have been times in my career, I am sure I have said things and I'm not doing it. So we all do it to some degree because we, we really are trying to teach ourselves most of all, you know, like everything that I teach have all been things that I need to learn. So what I'll say about that is just be mindful and discerning about who you take advice from. You know, really look at like, what is that person's life like? Do I really feel a resonance? Do I really feel a heart connection? I think it was Robert Holden, who I really love. He's a great teacher who said, you know, something's the truth. If it like resonates, like you've heard it before, even if you've never heard it before. And so you are your own best barometer of you know, who can you listen to? Who really is in alignment and who is saying things that are really, really great, but they may not really be integrated and embodied in that person. So you might get some great tidbits, but it wouldn't be the person that you feel safe enough with to maybe lead you or guide you. Wow. Very, I would say politically correct, but spot on answer. I love it. So the last and final question, I have so many more questions that I'd love to ask you, but just for time's sake and, and respecting your, your sweet time. So the last one as I eat my hair here is what are your three biggest tips for someone to live a sharper life? Oh, well, Number one, everything that we've talked about on the show in terms of the self-remembering, the radical self-acceptance, that's key because if you're too busy judging yourself, you can't, you can't really see clearly. Um, to really, really feel into and consider what you most value at night, in life, sorry. I had a friend ask me when I was debating whether or not I wanted to try to get pregnant because I was really on the fence about having a child. Um, and both because, as you mentioned, I have that anxiety and that worry that comes up about people I love. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really set in my ways in my life. I'm in my 40s. Like, am I going to be able to handle this change? It was a really big change. 
And I knew I, if I stepped into motherhood, I was going to really devote myself to it. And so that would mean putting things on pause and things changing in my life. And so I was really on the fence and a friend asked me, she's like, close, she said, close your eyes. And I closed my eyes and she said, I want you to imagine yourself at your 70th birthday. I was like, okay. And she's like, and I want you to imagine not having your daughter there. Cause I always knew I'd have a girl. Like just having people in your life, maybe having Steph, but not having your child. And I just burst into tears. And mm-hmm. I was like, I can't, I can't imagine my life, but I, I can't. And so that's a good exercise to do is to take yourself to your 70th birthday or your 50th birthday or whatever, and really think about what, what matters to you then. And are you living your life in alignment with that? Like if I came into your life and watched you for two days, would I know what you valued? So that would be number two. And number three, I would say like, have fun. It's another thing I've learned from my daughter, especially like our audiences. Sometimes there can be so much like seriousness on, I need to have my routine and have my personal development work and like all the things. And what about fun? And what about play? And what about just being silly? And what about not having a plan? And what about spontaneity? And what about like, it's okay if your house is messy or you miss a workout or you have to cancel a meeting or whatever it is, like more fun and laughter and joy and childlike curiosity and play. Oh, I love it. Absolutely wonderful. Where can people find you? What retreat or mastermind or what do you, what do you want people to come and do? Cause you, you have so many beautiful offerings. Yeah. Well, um, as I've talked about, I've really focused my career on what are the things that really matter most to me. So there are a couple of things that are coming up. My women's retreat, which I just, I just love this retreat, Nikki. It's just so healing. I feel like the work we do at this retreat sends ripples out to women all over the world. That's coming up in October in San Diego. Um, it's christinehasler.com slash signature retreat. But if you just go to Christine Hassler, you'll, you'll see it there. You can sign up at christinehasler.com for my coaching assessment, and then you'll get emails and stuff from me. Um, the program you mentioned, the inner child program is also always available. That's christinehasler.com slash inner child. I have a program I do with staff about calling in your person I'll be the queen. And then for any aspiring coaches or coaches out there, I also co-founded a coaching institute because that to me, when I really thought about what do I want my legacy to be? What do I really want to create? I really want to pass on everything I've learned from all the amazing teachers and 20 years of work that I've done. And so a big part of my mission is training other coaches, really good, exquisite coaches that are really embodied and integrated and do walk the talk as we as we talked about, um, because I will say there are a lot of people out there that call themselves coaches that <laughs> shouldn't be, um, because it's a very unregulated industry, but that's another podcast. So the Elementum Coaching Institute is our, is our coaching institute. And we enroll, we start up with that again in September and we're enrolling now for that. Beautiful. Well, I will be sure to link all of that. And Christine, thank you so much for being in my life, having such an impact, having an impact oh, on this show. And until next week, here's to a sharper life.